That's the vision of our year in 2018 is to win the city. He who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11:20 says that. And I'm excited because the man who's going to preach today's message is incredible in every way. Not only did he play rugby in South Africa, he, he married way out of his league. And that's, that's hard, he, of course. And he has five kids. If you can disciple five kids, man, then what you say is true. Y'all stand on your feet and welcome Pastor Ernie Kruger to the stage. That's awesome. Thank you, Pastor Ben. That is a phenomenal, kind, very kind introduction. Thank you so much for that. Um, I definitely married out of my league. My wife is in there feeding uh, a fifth, which is three and a half months old. We've been traveling three consecutive weekends. So we would be gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday, started homeschooling back on Monday. I worked till Thursday with them, and then we get back in the car at 5 in the morning on Fridays, going to another city, talking about Jesus and how to reach cities. So she is a woman of women, a mother of mothers, and we love her so much, and hopefully she'll join us in a little bit. Um, let's pray before we start. Your Father, we thank you so much. And Lord, as we get into your word, um, Lord, today that you would change us. Lord, your word is sharper than any other two-edged sword. It divides, it divides between bone and marrow, Father, the soul and the spirit, Father. Uh, your word changes us. Your word will not return to you void. And so, Father, we come in your name, Jesus. Uh, and we thank you that you are among us right now. Holy Spirit, cut in us, uh, motivate us, strengthen us, Father God. Give us today what we need so we can go and do what you want to do in this city. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to start by just saying, Pastor Ben and Brandy, they are so kind. They, they, are, they just really make us feel so special every time we come in. Thank you so much for your hospitality. If I lived in this city, this would be my church. I would want him to be my pastor. Um, so thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Jimmy and Cindy, thank you for hosting my family. Thank you for cooking breakfast for my kids this morning, all five of them. You know, so I was, <clears throat> I was at peace this morning knowing that Jimmy is doing his magic on the, on the, on the stove there. Thank you so much. They love that bacon and, and, and eggs and pancakes and waffles, they told me. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading out of the book of Exodus. If you guys would stand with me, Exodus 32, and then we'll get straight, straight into some thoughts that I want to share about that. So um, let's stand in honor of God's word. Thank you. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 14, if that's okay. Um, I'll give you guys one second to get there. If you want to just trail with us on the, on the screen, that's okay too. Awesome. All right. <clears throat> when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's on the mountain with God, um, getting some instructions for God's people. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings <clears throat> excuse me, of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with rings, excuse me, fashioned with it, um, it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall, be a proc uh, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early and the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought 
and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. And they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Okay? Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn, again, may burn hot against them and that I might consume them. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> there we go. Thank you so much. <clears throat> that helps a little bit. Um, where was I? I've seen these people that my wrath might burn hot against them and that I might consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses, alone, killing everybody and your family. But Moses, verse 11, implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent that he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, your, um, your, excuse me, your servants to whom you swore by your, own, um, by, your, by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and <clears throat> all of this land that I promised you, I, I will give to your offspring, and they will inherit it forever. And verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Please be seated. All right, so yesterday we had a seminar, and the first service was pretty exciting. And so this service, I'm fighting to keep my voice up here. So <clears throat> if it sounds like I, turn, I, I transform into a lady as I speak, I apologize in advance, demasculining uh, feeling that is. But nonetheless, it's a couple of thoughts I want to share with you out of this passage. Um, you know, of course, m most of us are familiar with the book of Exodus. So Moses wrote the five books. The painter took the first five books of the Bible, started with Genesis, then wrote Exodus. Exodus is we see God leading his people out of slavery, out of ca captivity. In fact, the word redemption shows up for the first time in the Bible in Exodus. Okay? So you see God's nature and God's desire and God's will to redeem people from sin from evil, okay? He made us perfect in His image and likeness. We betrayed it. We, we gave it up. We, we, we became sinful in our nature and our hearts. Uh, we don't have sin around us. We have sin in us. And you see God's attempt starting to redeem us, but there's not full redemption yet. So verse number one, let me just read this again. And this is the first point I want to make. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to them, up, make us gods who will go before us. Um, and as for, as for this man, Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So the first point, people do not have a problem with Moses and his past leadership, but they had a problem with his absence. So God appoints leaders in society to lead. So it's very possible for us to be present physically, but be absent spiritually. 
Moses is up on the mountain, communing with God, having a great time with God, hearing God's voice. Can you imagine? Didn't eat and drink for 40 days because he's being sustained by the presence of God right up there in this mountain. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And here people, within 40 days, goes away. They start losing faith in God and start making themselves an idol. They take the gold that God put, the, the fear of God came over the Egyptians, that they started giving these Israelites like gold and, and, and massive, nicely jewels. Like, I mean, Israel was leaving Egypt from slavery wealthy. They, they had some wealth. And then they take the very things God's fear and God's righteousness and God's presence on these people commanded the Egyptians to give them, and they create for themselves a false idol. But because of what? Because of Moses' absence. As leaders, as Christians, we can never underestimate the power of presence in society. As, as, as humans, all of us have vocations. We have jobs. We have things we've got to do. We've got vocations. But we, and we, we physically show up because we've got to earn our paycheck. But do we show up spiritually? Or are we absent spiritually? You know, you can be present and fully absent. So what we do is we show up at a place, we see things that's wrong, that's against the will of God, that society and culture is going in the wrong direction, and what we do is even though we're there, we are seeing, we are witnessing this, we just step back and we allow it to go to happen. And God would say, no, 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 don't underestimate your presence here. Don't be absent, Moses. Aaron, Joshua, all the other leaders, just standing back, letting Israel do what they want to do. We've got to be present. We've, we cannot be spiritually absent. The absence of the godly Christian people allows for godlessness to reign. So the darkness that we see in culture that we so quickly criticize and, oh, it's so bad out there. It's only bad out there because we are absent out there. The moment we show up, things ought to change. The glory of God's in you, on you, it ought to change. Now, you know what's the, the trick about this whole passage, the good thing about this passage? Moses was with God. He comes down. He sees this. Oh, my gosh, he's grieved. Why is Moses grieved by this sin? Why is Moses grieved by this godlessness? Because he was in the presence of God. When we move away from God's presence, we, we get okay with godlessness. When we're in his presence, we can't stand it. We can't, I mean, it just grieves us. Things that's wrong. I mean, any of y'all ever been like this when, when you've had an amazing time in the Word and prayer, you leave that time and you see something on TV that comes up and you, in your memory, you remember just spending time with God through the Word or through prayer or maybe just feeling His presence and all of a sudden you see that, ooh, and you like immediately can't even look back that way. And the exact opposite happens so often with the same person. When there's a lack of God's presence, they, they go, they see godlessness. Oh, let me go, go, let me go for a second, look quickly. Because we forgot that our God's a holy, righteous God because of a lack of presence. As the leaders, we've got to remain in His presence, and then we've got to be fully present physically and spiritually in society. If we want to see winning the city, if we want to change our city, if we want to, we've got to say, Lord, Lord I am not going to be there physically, but not be there spiritually. The only reason people don't know Jesus is because we don't tell them. We don't take up our command. We don't take up our, God's, God's command to us, God's commissioning to us. We don't take it so seriously enough, and we allow culture to just move in one direction as opposed to saying, no, 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 stop. I'm not letting it go that way. I'm pushing it this way in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be your spiritually. I'm going to be spiritually present. You've got to be spiritually present in society. 
I remember this story. I'm going to use this story to help kind of just codify this point in our hearts today. I was a professional rugby player. as Pastor Ben said in South Africa. I played for a team called the Falcons. This was the second time I signed with them for the second time in this specific story. Um, I played for them years prior to this, and then that was the last team I ended up playing for when I ended my career. And I got signed, and a lot happened and transpired from the last time I played there to this current specific time. I remember, in fact, I forgot to say this, the first service, the first time I signed with him, we started a revival. A lot of people got saved. It was a beautiful thing. Then I left and went to play for different franchises. I came back, and there was nothing gone. It's like no one ever told anyone there about Jesus. No one ever told them. It's like, whoa, 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 I remember people getting saved. In fact, people that's in, in, in highly involved in ministry today got saved the first round. And then we, we left. We, 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 we didn't stay there. We all moved to different franchises. And year, four years later, five years later, I signed with them again. I show up. And the first week, I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. The CEO has lost his mind. The coaches are, I mean, just nasty. And, and they're and vulgar in their languages. You know, they're not nasty people. They're just vulgar, completely godless. And they love godlessness. They celebrate it. The team, the leaders in the team are just, I mean, everything that comes out of their mouth, I mean, it's just hard to listen to. And I would physically drive to work every morning, putting podcasts in, listening to sermons about God, saying, God, you got to feel my fire because I'm going to need some extra faith this day. I know anyone feel like that sometimes when you go to work, God, oh, I know what's waiting for me, God. I know what's waiting for me. And for me to be physically present and spiritually present, I'm going to need some extra juice, make sure faith. I needed a lot of faith to face this, these giants. It's like Paul said in Ephesus, listen, I, I wrestled wild beasts over here, talking about spiritual principalities. That's what I felt. I mean, so God did all this great stuff five years ago, and now, boom, it's like nothing has ever happened. You can't even tell that God was ever, ever involved in this franchise at any level. And, and, and the, to the point of being spiritually present, and I remember that week number one or two in, we had a big fitness session, and, and I heard the guy start vul, in a vul, very vulgar, degrading way towards women, talk about prostitutes and how they're going to get this for this guy, and they're going to arrange this for that guy. And I mean, in the, the conversation just escalates, and, and it just goes from bad to worse quick. And I mean, it just is so bad, you can hardly even listen to it. And I'm standing there, the medical staff, management, I mean, everyone in the franchise except for the administrators is outside here, and they're all just laughing and, you know, grinning, and, you know, this is funny, these are athletes, and they're just doing what they do, because that's kind of the culture and the vibe athletes have. And I remember being so grieved in my spirit, because that morning, I was listening to God's word on my way to work, and I just couldn't, it was hurting me. It was making me sick inside, and, and I was convicted to say, I can't just be here physically. i got to now speak up and be here spiritually. I, I can't be spiritually absent in this moment. You know, and God gives us the, those opportunities, right, where we know this is my moment. i got to say something right now. God's opening the door. Darkness is raining, but light's about to come in. And I remember standing up, and I said, hold up. I'm sorry, guys. My name is Ernie Kruger, for those of you that don't know me. Um, and I wonder if you know that these women that y'all are talking about are daughters of God because they were created in His image and in His likeness. And even though they might not worship Him, they still are His property. And you're talking about a dad's daughters. And you know what? If you do not repent of your sins, this specific sin and the others you do every single day that I'm aware of, you will go to hell. You will burn for all eternity. Do you know that? Do you know that God hears this conversation? He's aware of what's going on right now. He's not unaware. He sees all of this. He hears everything. 
and it just gets so quiet. I mean, you can imagine, these are professional athletes. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. In fact, everyone is trying to just kind of please them. And here someone is just challenging them. One of them is just challenging them. And I'm standing, and of course, I feel the weight of this moment. I mean, I'm standing there. I'm like, gosh, I, I don't want to do this. But, you know, when we spend time with God, it, we, we, we develop His heart. We get transformed into His image and likeness. We are reminded of who we are as new creations. And then sometimes when we, not sometimes, when we in that position go and see darkness, we are moved to attack it and not be pushed back by it or intimidated by it. But there's still the flesh involved. So there's still the fear of man and, man, I don't want to lose my job. And, the, you know, all these things run through your mind. What if the coach doesn't choose me again? What if I'm causing chaos in the team? What if I disrupt the kind of team spirit? Because it seems like they all like it. But someone's going to stand up for the truth. If not me, who? If not you, who? You waiting for the next brave man or woman to come by and do it? Who's going to do it? Who's going to stand up for truth in your city? In society, we have to. And I stood up and I said this, and they just stare at me, and it's quiet. And this one guy jumps up, and he says, Ernie, who do you think you are to tell me what to say? I'm a grown man. I'll say whatever I want to say. And he's walking to me, and he throws a couple strong words in there as he's walking to me. And he is clearly not coming to give me a hug. He's, I mean, he's walking to me, and it's, it's about to get real, and I'm thinking, my dad taught me how to fight when I was a little boy, so I put my one foot back, and I'm thinking, I don't want to hit anyone. I want to bring righteousness, but you know, sometimes righteousness comes after confrontation. Not always physical, but there's definitely a clash in the spirit happening before the righteousness of Christ comes, because darkness needs to be hit in the mouth. So I'm not here for you to push me back, devil. I'm here to bring the glory of my king. That's why I'm here. I'm sorry, I get excited when I speak. <laughs> I'm excited about my God and His kingdom. He's changed me too much for me not to be. And He's walking to me. And just like all of us, I feel fear and I feel all the what-ifs. And I feel the, the fears and the, the voices of the devil. And I feel the courage of God. And I feel everything. And I'm trying to decipher, gosh, what's going to happen? And as He's walking to me, I'm praying, God, please give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And everyone's just watching. And half the team is probably hoping He just knocks the life out of me. And I'm thinking, gosh, God, don't embarrass me. I know David killed Goliath and the bear. So maybe this is a big dude on my own. I'm like, maybe, maybe, boom, I'll just give him something quick, you know. And... As he's walking to me, I, have the, I get this thought, and I know it's the Holy Spirit. He says, only tell him that you love him. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh. I mean, this is when from bad to worse. I mean, you don't want to tell people you love them in that environment, okay? This love is not a good word there. You know, it's not celebrated. You know, it's not that kind of environment. You know, a bunch of angry, mad rugby players, you know, very chauvinistic. And I'm thinking, gosh, this is bad. And I say, hey, 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 Jacques, I say this because I love you, man. And he stops. And everyone's like, like, huh? And I said, I said, if I didn't love you, I would think to myself, you're going to hell anyway, so I'll just keep to myself. I'll be absent spiritually here. I'll just, I'm here, but I'm not here spiritually. I'm divorcing the relationship I have with Jesus from my physical uh, being right now and acting like I don't know what's right and wrong. I said, because I love you, I say something. Because I care. So in fact, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm saying this. I'm moved because I know the truth. And I don't even know if I'll see you tomorrow. And if I stand before God and I knew the truth and I didn't say anything about the truth, I'm accountable for the truth. I'm morally liable for not telling people the truth. 
You don't yet know the truth. I know the truth. Therefore, I must tell you the truth. And in fact, I said, I love all of y'all here. All of you guys must know this. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned that you don't know this, that you act like you don't. Somehow you can live the way you want and still God's going to let you into heaven. The hell is still hot. Heaven is real. Sin is still bad. God still hates sin. This is, this is not okay. I know we celebrate this in culture, but God doesn't celebrate this. We've got to know the Bible. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to know what God says about himself and us. And he stops and he says, that makes sense, Ernie. And he turns around and walks away. Coach steps in. He says, Ernie, Ernie is right. We, we shouldn't speak like that as a team. We shouldn't have this culture. And you know what happened? The moment we got up from there, I walked to my car, and almost every young guy on this team runs to me, like runs to me. Hey, hey, Ernie, Ernie, Ernie. Hey, bro, thank you so much for doing that. I, I feel the same way, but I just don't have the courage to say anything. I'm just absent spiritually, Ernie. Would you help me? So I said, well, let's start a Bible study tomorrow or next week. Started the Bible study. The guy started getting saved and encouraged and we baptized him after training in pools and, and water. And all of a sudden, what happened? The coach walks in one day. Ernie, I want what you have. And, and in front of all the players, I don't have it. How do I get it? I said, well, coach, you believe in Jesus. That he's the Lord, the Son of God, that he came to save your sins. That he was raised from the dead. He said, yes. I said, have you been baptized? He said, I, he said no. I said, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? He said, no. I said, are you being discipled by someone in the church? He says, no. I said, well, coach, if you do just those things, you'll have exactly what I have and maybe even more. He ended up getting baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. God restored his marriage. God changed everything. And this coach, who was one of the leaders of darkness, became a, a voice of truth in this team. And the whole franchise shifted. That, that year, that season, we ended bottom of the log. The next season, we lost in the semifinals. Months later after I left, people, coaches, coach called me and players calling me, Ernie, uh, God changing, God's changing our team. You, you wouldn't recognize this team. To this day, people are internationally preaching the gospel that used to play with me. God saved. I led them to the Lord, and, 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 and then they led their friends to the Lord, our teammates. And now, boom, people have ministries all over the world. Preaching the gospel, what, what had to happen? I just had to say, I'm done with being spiritually absent in my community. That's not the God that I serve. He doesn't step back for darkness. He walks in because he is the light. And when light comes, darkness must go. Darkness don't have a choice. This dark can only be room as long as we keep the lights off. But the moment someone hits the streets, boom, darkness must flee in the presence of light. We can't be absent in our communities. We must win our city. He won it. We must go take it. He purchased it with his blood. We must go take it. We, just get, we have to stop being absent. Y'all tracking with me. Second point. They've turned aside quickly. Verse 7 and 8. Let's read this quickly to refresh us. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people who you, who you have brought um, out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. The consistent presence of the righteous is very needed because people are quick to turn from God. That's why discipleship is key because people get discouraged so quickly. Hebrews 10, 25 says, do not neglect meeting together as someone in the habit of doing, but keep on encouraging one another, meeting together to encourage each other as you see the day of judgment drawing near. 
What are we so quick to do? We're so quick to not show up at Starbucks anymore for that 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. prayer meeting or Bible study or evening. You're so quick to move God to the back and start putting our calendars in front of God. And then what happens? We get discouraged. We We stop bringing the light to the darkness. Our hearts so quickly turn from God. The only reason Moses didn't do this with those people, I believe, is because he was with God. Because he had a heart just like the other people. Moses was human as the other people, but Moses was in the presence of God, continually being sustained by God. Therefore, he had the, the, the whereabout or the, 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 the truth so strong in him because he was so refreshed by the presence of God to hate sin and still love righteousness. But you know, for all of us, I don't know about you, but it took many people to get me to where I'm at today. I mean, so many people God has sent to come alongside my life to keep me to not turn away from Jesus. And I remember so clearly many times in my life, many moments in 13 years of being a Christian, where I was looking and saying, you know what, I, 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 I stopped believing the promises of God for a moment. I started believing the lies of the devil. I started doubting God's faithfulness. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, it, it took someone, not just the Holy Spirit, someone to say, Ernie, don't do it. Come back and remind me of God's promises. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to serve God. Our hearts are inclined to turn away from God. We need to disciple our culture. We need to meet with them regularly. We need to put it in our schedules. We need to make ourselves available. Say, God, I'm not just going to tell people about you. I'm going to disciple people. You need to be encouraged. You need to be led and you need to lead someone else. Paul had Barnabas and he had Timothy. Barnabas helped him and he helped Timothy. Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Timothy? All of us need help and all of us must go help someone else. That's how we shift the culture. That's how we change the culture. If we quickly want to throw some of those pictures, I forgot to do in the beginning. I think it's a fitting moment. Can you all throw pictures there for me? That young man right there, and everything I'm talking about, I'm not just saying this, hoping it works. We are seeing this work in our culture and our sitting on our campus. A young man's mom and dad moved here as illegal immigrants. Someone went there and said, I'm not going to be spiritually absent. I'm going to be present. Share the truth with him. He got radically born again, got baptized, and now someone is discipling him every week, encouraging him. And what is he doing? He's going home saying, I want my family to change. And he's going back, bringing the truth to his family and to his friends. This lady right here, she, she was led to the Lord by students in our campus ministry. In fact, Lyric right here is on a ride baptizing her that's, that's helping us this weekend with our children. And so they led her to the Lord. This, this girl is non-pastoral staff of a, Mary, uh, of a mega church. But someone stepped into her life and said, hey, do you really know the gospel? Have you really responded to the gospel? And she got saved and baptized in our campus ministry by students that's not even professionals. They said, listen, I'm not going to be absent on my campus anymore. I'm not going to be absent on my culture anymore. Next slide. That young man's from Nigeria. Went to church his whole life. Never felt the presence in the Spirit of God. Boom, he came to our meetings, and we preach the Word of God that's living and active, and we are not ashamed of the gospel. And he comes in, and week after week, it feels like someone is hitting him in the heart. And he came to me and said, dude, i got to give my life to Jesus, because for the first time in my life, it's like something is reaching in and grabbing my heart. I said, that's Jesus. That's what the Word does when we're not spiritually absent. And then we get him in a Bible study and we start discipling him. And he's going from glory to glory, from strength to strength. Next picture. That young man's from Liberia. Mom sent him here for, when he was three years old for a better future. Saying, I hope, my son, you'll have a better future over here. And he was raised for nine years. Didn't even see his mother again. Couldn't even recognize her in a crowd. 
lost, broken. You can imagine what a little child goes through. And boom, we meet him. He gets radically born again. Gets baptized. What's happening? We're not absent on our campus. We're here to take some ground because Jesus paid for it and we are here to claim it. Serving Jesus actively. That young man's from Haiti. Came to America for a better future. Got saved on our campus. Baptized. Next, next slide. That young man, he's, a, he's a, a Texan. So the guy on the left, and this is, this is what's powerful. This guy got saved. And West Texas A&M as a football player transferred to do his MBA at UNT where we are. And, and, and someone told me this guy loves Jesus, but he, he wants to learn how to make disciples. He, he's never been trained in how to make disciples. So we set up a meeting. I said, listen, what do we want to do? He said, man, I want to reach my team. He's on the football team, linebacker, starting linebacker. And I said, well, I think we can help you with this. So we trained him in the engage, established, equip and empower, taught him how to make disciples, how we do it, simplified it, not complicated. And he set up a Bible study where Connor got saved, the man in the middle. Okay, I, I saw Connor come into this meeting dead in his sin. I mean, Connor needed Jesus really bad. Connor was addicted to drugs, was really confused into, um, uh, mentally, started like, having crazy thoughts, thought he was losing his mind, like would sit and start shaking and stuff, and finally gave his life to Jesus and instantaneously was changed. And he just led one of his best friends to the Lord in Houston, where he's from, just outside of Houston. And as he's taking him through the one-to-one, explaining the gospel, someone hears Connor. And they turned to him and said, in Waffle House. And they said, hey, whatever that Jesus is you talking about, we want to know him too. So he started public preaching in Waffle House and leading people to Jesus in Waffle He's been saved three months. Because what happens when we say, listen, I'm not going to be spiritually absent anymore. I'm going to be present spiritually in my culture and community. What happens? The power of God starts moving. We start advancing. Darkness starts leaving. It's powerful. One more. That young lady is from Sierra Leone. Came here with her family. Gave her life to Jesus. Is now actively serving Jesus. The gospel is still working. It's simple, but it's powerful. It's simple, but it's powerful. But what does it take? It takes us stop being absent and become present spiritually. Don't show up physically, but be absent spiritually. And when people respond to the gospel, don't leave them. Walk with them, disciple them, meet with them regularly, encourage them, and to follow God better and to strengthen their faith. Last, last point I want to make here, verse 3, excuse me, the third point, verse 11 to 14. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, to, to whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster. And remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them that I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And verse 14, he said, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he's spoken of bringing. What had to happen for God to relent from judging people that deliberately disobeyed him and within 40 days made himself a false god? It took his son, Moses, a leader in society, to implore him. It means to earnestly plead with him. Do you implore God on behalf of your city? Do you implore God on behalf of your community? The Bible says in Psalms 4.3 that God has set aside the righteous for himself and he hears when we cry out to him. God hears your prayers. 
The moment you open your mouth, God's like, hey, what's up, son? Hey, what's going on, daughter? He partners with us. He hears us. Moses implored. He saw sin. He saw unrighteousness. He was so moved. He said, God, please don't consume them. God, but forgive them. You made a promise to them. You have a covenant with them, God. I remember a couple, days, a couple weeks ago, I was driving to Denton where our campus ministry is, and I was about to go sit in the Starbucks and work, do some administration. And as I was driving, I felt a sudden heaviness come over me, and I couldn't shake it. It's like something wrapped around my body, and I couldn't breathe. That felt really good right there. Yes, there we go. And, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I just was thinking, I can't even think anymore. Like, I, I just feel so heavy, and it's like, it's like a genuine spiritual resistance. And I said, I was like, what's going on? And I said, God, this is a good time to encourage me. I need some encouragement right now. And he said, drive over to this little lake that's close to the Starbucks. I pull up. The cold front was moving in, so there's no one there. And I sit down at this, um, in my car overlooking this little pond in Denton, our city. I have a good view of the city. And I put my car seat back down, and I just lay back. And the Holy Spirit starts lifting this heaviness off of me. And I can feel this heaviness lifting. Like literally, I can feel it. Like just lifting and getting lighter and lighter until it was eventually gone. And all of a sudden, I could hear God's voice. And he said, go to Ephesians 6. So let's go, let's go to Ephesians 6 real quick. <clears throat> what I was experiencing in that moment, I was experiencing what our, what our city lives under. The spiritual oppression, the principalities that's ruling in our city. Because Christians are absent. Because we haven't taken the ground that our daddy have won yet. And I'm driving in and I'm feeling this. And I'm thinking, man, this is unusual. This is so strange. You know, in the spiritual realm is real. I mean, there's real principalities. And all of a sudden, the Lord's reminding me through His Word. He says in verse 10, 6, verse 10, Ephesians 6, 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Say stand. Against the schemes of the devil. The devil does never stop scheming. He's still scheming today. He says, so you may stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces and, um, of evil in heavenly places. And here I am sitting, I'm feeling the oppression of my city. I see the darkness of my people. I mean, it's real. I can feel the pain. I can feel the... And I'm thinking, gosh, these people feel like this every day. And I remembered how I felt before I knew Jesus. Every day felt like a death sentence to me. And then when I had success materially, it was so short-lived. And then I had to go find something else to fix myself because I, I never could maintain or keep this joy. And, and, I, and the Lord's reminding me, listen, there's cosmic powers. This present darkness against the spiritual forces in heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, the salvation, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the good news, the shield of faith, and the sword of the word. He says, take it up, Ernie, so that you can withstand the evil, so you can withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand from, therefore, um, having fasted on the belt of truth and putting on the breastplate of righteousness, defend God's territory, defend yourself and take ground. And I remember as I heard this, something in me got ignited again for a moment. And I got out of my car with this Bible and I started claiming God's promises. Psalms 2 God, you said, Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Psalms 24 1, Lord, all the earth is yours and the fullness thereof, all the world and everything that's in it. God, this is your city and I'm here to take it as your son. 
I'm not letting the devil have my city. I'm not letting him hurt these people. And I started imploring God on behalf of my city. And it felt great. I felt the righteous joy of the Lord come up in my soul and my hope rose up and I started getting confidence again for the city because 15 minutes ago I could hardly focus. It was so heavy. And I believe God shows us the problems in our communities not so we can look at them and say, oh, it's bad in my city. Oh, it's bad in this culture. He shows it to us, reveals it to us so we can implore Him on behalf of those people. Moses implored the Lord and God relented from disaster. Let's stand as we close this service. I want to close with this thought. Moses knew the love of God because he was transformed by the love of God. Remember, Moses was a murderer. Moses wasn't born a saint. He was born a sinner like us. And he was redeemed by the love of Jesus. I mean, he's writing the book of Exodus, which is about redemption, but not redemption just then because, you know, later in that chapter... God still partially judged them. So there was, he relented from complete destruction of the people, the stiff-necked people. But through Moses' prayers and intercession that he made, what happened? God relented partially because he still sent plagues and cur- cursed some of the people that partook in this worship. Not all of them, but those that partook in worship. And they were still judged because Moses was a man and his imploring was only partially effective. And what is Moses trying to say? Listen, guys, someday... Someday he will come and he will implore himself, he will implore himself on behalf of creation that there can be full redemption, full forgiveness. And here we are today, a result of that faith that started then and then Jesus coming, dying on the cross and hanging on the cross, taking the fullness of and the weight of our sin and unrighteousness, us the stiff-necked people imploring himself on our behalf, saying, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to come from heaven. I'm going to make a way for them to go from death to life. Imploring himself on behalf of creation, and here we are, regenerated, born again. Know the love of God, and you will not, if you're born again, your sins will not be held against you anymore. How can we contain that message? How do we withhold that from society? He says, listen, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them how to live according to my word. I implored, I saved you, I implored myself on your behalf, and you are born again, so therefore you go and tell the world the good news. Our city is waiting for us to become physically and spiritually present and imploring the Lord on behalf of our city. When we see darkness, we start imploring God. God, bring forth the redemption that Jesus conquered, the, 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 the victory Jesus won on the cross. This is your city. Revelations 5.9 said that God purchased for himself people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He ransomed for himself, and we get to go take it. I want to ask you right now, if you say, God... I want, to, I, want to co- I want to start taking up my responsibility, my role in this. And I haven't yet implored you on behalf of my city and those who don't know you and say, I, I want to get in the game, God. I'm done standing on the outside. I want to be spiritually present, not just physically. I want you to raise your hands all over this place right now. If you feel convicted, say, you know what? I'm not doing that. I need to start, I need to start being God's voice piece in my community and culture. 
I see these hands. This is our inheritance. This is our inheritance. Jesus made this possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. God, that you saved us. That you came to us while we were yet sinners and saved us, changed our lives. And you were implored on behalf of, on our behalf so we could know you, Father God. Forgiving our sins, not remembering our sins anymore, removing them as far as the east is from the west. And today, Father God, I pray that that knowledge will not stay in our heads or not just stay in our hearts, but Lord, that we would actually say, we want to take this knowledge to our city. God, may our city be transformed by your word and your love in Jesus' name. Amen.